Welcome to the Imbalance podcast series. Hosted by Brady Technologies. Your guide to short-term power markets in Europe and beyond. Welcome everyone to the Brady podcast recording Imbalance with myself, Chris Regan, and my colleagues. I'll let them introduce themselves. Dimitri and Mari. Welcome everyone. Today's theme is set as we record on the 19th of July and we are going to talk about the impact of high temperatures on energy prices and energy trading. So I am sitting in my living room at 36.1 degrees whereas my colleagues have been much more sensible and gone into the office so I suspect Dimitri and Murray you're both in the uh, 20 degrees region. Yeah it's nice and cool here. So I'm expecting significantly more inputs from yourself than myself who's um, being boiled alive. So the thing that I wanted to start with on these high temperatures is temperatures have a big impact on the market, the generation, the demand. And I think the best part to start is probably with the market. So I was going to pass to yourself, Murray, and see if there's any insight you could you could give us from recent publications. Yeah, there's been um, a few articles around the last um, the last few days about what's what's happening in general across Europe with the with the increase in temperatures. But a really good one published by our friends at Anapsis on on what happened yesterday in GB and given that, that that's where we're all sitting sweltering at the minute, it's probably a good one to talk about. So yeah, yesterday was a very, very strange day in the GB market where we had the highest loss of load probability that's been that's been um, published by the TSO. Two capacity mechanism notices, and it's always a, an interesting afternoon when those pop into your inbox because the first thing you quick, you want to do then is start seeing, well, what, having another check at what's going on in the market. And we also haven't seen the highest ever price being traded on an interconnector balancing trade, which was £2,059.88, which was traded across Britnet. And it's an interesting one because things didn't seem to be that bad because for the majority of the day, the, the TSO was saying there was there was kind of nothing nothing to worry about, but yet you could see that there was sort of demand kept going up on the back of, the increased temperatures with air conditioning but yet it seemed as we got closer and closer to the evening peak that all power stations were on and there was very little capacity in fact when it got to the evening peak we saw some strange things that all of the the pump storage was being activated as well which is something we, we really don't see happening very often so what i guess what inclusion of it all was that the final um, capacity um, mechanism notice was cleared with 20 minutes before delivery. So we did see some relatively high prices trading. Those at £4,000 traded at one point. So, um, yeah, it was an interesting one. So we actually ended up with um, enough volume being being available in the system due to some trades being reversed. So we saw power that has been flowing to the continent being reversed because I guess we were after the main, the main European peak. And actually the... We had some reserve in GB by the fact that some of the the CCGT plants that were running would actually bid down in the balancing mechanism to give any upward reserve that might have been required at the end. So yeah, interesting time. So I guess we're we're just heading into the peak now. So this will be we'll see what happens tonight, and I guess this may be a sign of 
what's going to happen in the, in the months to, to come, potentially what we'll see in winter when we're going to be export brought into Europe. So yeah, very interesting day and hopefully things settle down a bit as the temperatures drop. And uh, Murray, you mentioned a very interesting concept there, which is pumped storage. So maybe for those listeners who are not familiar with the marginal generation stack, can you elaborate a little bit, please, what it is and what it means for the market? Sure. Well, your pumped storage is it's almost the, uh, I don't want to call it the, the energy res- source of last resort, but with it being pumped storage, it's where you can get large volumes of electricity produced very, very quickly. So I think there's two big ones in Wales and a couple of, sort of smaller ones in Scotland that are used in the GB market. And you're getting sort of one to 2,000 megawatts of almost instantaneous mega- of instantaneous power if these are called upon. But it's very unusual for those to be called on in summer. We used to traditionally see them in winter get called on for very short periods of time. But it's been a while since they've all been on in, in summer. And, and Murray, I think, I mean, the main one was Dinorwig, wasn't it? They used to do a fantastic tour of Dinorwig. Don't they call it Electric Mountain or something like that? So this is like the ultimate battery from, from 20 years ago. And it involved um, taking water, pumping it to the top of a mountain, and leaving it in a pond. And then when you need the electricity, letting the water dry, run down through a turbine. And what they were very clever to do at those pump storage is they actually spin the turbines so they can get going really quickly so they have them synchronized and running ready and then they can put the water through and get the load up in fractions of a second which is just what grid need when they get really worried about the high gradients of demand that are caused by the forecast suddenly changing and i imagine that the reason why uh, the grid doesn't call upon pump storage is because it's one of the most expensive generation sources available out there on the market is that, is that so yeah definitely i think that, that's the ones that are likely to be setting your, your high four-figure values. So the £4,000 that was called that was delivered yesterday was probably from a hydro unit. Mm. But the actual fundamental costs of them aren't too high because I can't remember the efficiency, but I'd be suspicious if it wasn't more than 50% efficient in pumping water up and then reclaiming it or in that order of magnitude. So the actual cost of the generation is twice the cost of the off-peaks. So it's not that it's an expensive source. It's just because it's the most flexible, they price themselves to be the, the asset of last resort. Excellent. So thank you, Murray. So so basically expensive using those units. We really are kind of seeing exciting times. It did happen 19 years ago, and I'll go into that. But what I'm really interested in now is it's not only the fact that we have to have all those assets on. Something quite different changes to demand when we have these very high temperatures. And Dimitri, is being, as well as being a trader, is also an expert in demand forecasting as well. Yeah, I think uh, when it comes to demand, definitely this is something unusual for the UK market because we don't get too many of uh, hot weather and uh, most of electricity demand is driven by heating demand over winter. However, there are a few periods over summer when due to high temperatures, demand rises. I think unlike other countries in continental Europe or unlike the US, Britain actually does not have too much of air conditioning load installed in the country. And that also includes commercial buildings. So I think I pulled out some statistics from the internet, which said that it's only 3% of commercial buildings which are air-conditioned in Britain. So definitely there will be people struggling during the heat. 
So air conditioning demand increases, obviously, in line with temperature rises, and uh, it, it represents a big uh, impact on the system because when, when there is not enough when there is not enough electricity available on the grid, like is the case today and um, uh, has been recently, as Mary explained, sun is shining, but there is not enough wind, which uh, drives uh, prices higher obviously. And uh, another thing which is worth mentioning is that currently with the heat, we also have lower water levels in, in continental Europe, which drives prices higher in countries like France. Uh, so France uh, historically has been relying largely on nuclear generation. And in order to cool down a nuclear reactor, you need to use a lot of water. And uh, for that reason, they rely on the water levels in local rivers. And currently, due to the drought and extreme heat, there is not enough water simply to uh, cool down the reactors. And that pushes uh, prices to stratospheric levels. I was seeing French, they had auction clearing at 600 euros per megawatt hour. That's uh, one of definitely record level prices. So there will definitely be a lot of pressure, not only on the UK, but also on your uh, continental Europe um, system. Um. Thank you, Dimitri. I think that's a really good point. It brings me on to the bit I was going to talk about. So you've talked about the fact that air conditioning makes prices go up because there's an increase in demand. And just, just for me, I understand the inflection point is generally around um, 25 degrees. Once you go above 25 degrees, that's when you start seeing the uh, the demand go back up again. So that shows you the kind of the comfort level of the Brits when the offices really start having to put that air conditioning load on. We get very little domestic air conditioning in this country compared to countries which have far huge, you know, much, much higher temperature swings like, you know, North America, like the USA and Canada, etc., where they might have 40 degree summers and minus 20 degree winters. The GB is generally hovers between 0 and 20 pretty much all of the time. So not a country that's ready for something like this. Now, what you hinted on was really interesting that um, you talked about um, the water levels. And, you know, you would think that, okay, we're in, a, we're in a situation where you've got lots of renewable generation. You've got your wind, you've got the solar. That's not so reliable, but you've backbone of your generation is traditionally, yes, your nuclear generation, which is fully dispatchable, and maybe your combined cycle gas turbine, which is fully dispatchable and incredibly low gas demand at the moment because no one's going to be putting the heating on, etc. But exactly to Dimitri's point, you start with the water cooling. Most of the nuclear reactors will be limited, not so much on how much water there, it's the exit temperature of the water that they put out for their cooling. So if you're generating 1,200 megawatts of thermal energy in a nuclear reactor, you'll create a lot of steam. The steam goes to the turbine. When it comes out of the turbine, it's still hot, but it's lost all of its pressure. It goes into the turbine at maybe 180 bar, and it'll come out at sub-atmospheric levels because it's rotated the turbine and it's suspended all its energy. But the amount of heat that you can pull out of a thermal process is determined by the difference between the exit temperature of your heat source. It might be coal or it might be nuclear. And that's what you would call like the T2, the exit temperature, and the T1, the inlet temperature that goes in. Now, if you can't get enough cooling water to cool down your water after it's gone through the turbine, then your T1 raises, which means the difference between the T2 and T1, the temperature extracted from the heat sink, just reduces proportionate to, to basically the temperature differential you've got. So you end up starting to throttle back on your nuclear power 
because of that. And then it gets even worse because if we look across the GB, people very much didn't like the cooling towers that are synonymous with the older coal generation that's out there. The classic drive up the M1 and you go into the coal mine territory, which is, of course, where we built all the coal power stations. And you look at the Draxes, uh, what was there, the Eggboroughs, the Fiddler's Ferry, the Ferry Bridges. These were really iconic in the large, kind of slightly cylindrical cooling towers. They became very unpopular. So when we saw the dash for gas in the late 90s and the early 2000s, a lot of those power stations were built inland with air cooling. And air cooling is even worse in these situations. And if you look at some of the builds of CCGTs, and Murray, you remember these like Ryehouse Power, which was the, the kind of classic mid 2000s Scottish power owned power station. So you might be familiar with that one. When the temperature gets up to these levels, their ability to cool the waters that's coming out of their cycles goes away so much that their load factor, when they get up to 30 degrees, will go from 100% to something like 40%. So there you are thinking, I just need these really reliable plants because demand's gone up with air conditioning. Well, actually, the ability to cool power stations really affects their profit, their efficiency, which stops you being able to generate the power. So in the UK, as Murray started off, you've got the double whammy. You've got all the high prices and the volatility. Your demand goes up, but your generation goes down, which is why we get that kind of problem of those escalating prices, infrequent, but sudden and really sharp. And also why you get down to capacity market events, because, of course, capacity market is the amount of margin and spare capacity. And as all of those assets declare lower availability because of vacuum, what do you get? You get a sudden spike in prices. Now, this isn't the first time this has happened. The electricity system, as we know it, went live in 2001. It was called NITA, and it was like like fantastically like thought out. But in 2003, we saw a significant heat wave hit Europe. And in France, we saw huge temperatures, which meant their nuclear power stations all derated, not only on water, but on concrete temperatures. And they were spraying water on them. And we saw the IFA, the Interconnected of France, importing power to France. And we saw prices that were, on average, £12 a megawatt hour annualised. To put in context, it's over 100 now. Spiked from 12 to 200 in one week, week 29 of 2003, all on temperatures. And that's the first time the GB woke up and thought, just a minute, it's not only expensive in winter, it can get really expensive in summer, like some of the hotter countries out there. Now, as we bring our podcast to you today, what we're thinking about is how does the trader trade this volatility? Well, first of all, Murray, what kind of prices would you like to see to be able to trade through these problems? If I'm wanting to see this, I want to. I want live prices. I want to see the live exchange prices. I want to see my cash out forecast that I've either got from my own internal team or I've purchased from one of the providers out there and I, I i guess key for me is i also i want to see my forecast cash out that's key um ideally you want to reforecast as soon as the new weather models comes one model comes in so in europe it's customary for weather models to uh get updated four times a day and therefore a, a reforecast that happens four times a day will provide the trader with the most up-to-date information. So you, you really can't be using out-of-date information on your demand forecast because you could have significant changes in what you should be trading to. And from my perspective, those power station operators need to get their availability in to reschedule the power stations when it falls off. Most of the time, the attitude of the power stations is because they don't know the exact temperature forecast is they reforecast as the temperature goes up and they bring down their availability, which means the trader has to have the tools to guess 
where their availability is going to go and not sell all of the output that they think is going to disappear. So when we think about the context of the challenge to the short-term trader, that's what myself, Dimitri, and Murray have designed into PowerDesk. PowerDesk will update your forecast from your customers as often as it comes out and instantaneously the net open position presented to the trader will be correct to that latest forecast. PowerDesk will show what your forecast of cash out prices are next to your net open position so you can work out the best next action. And PowerDesk will allow you to adjust your scheduled forecast from your generation assets so you only sell what you expect to generate. This is very different from the ethos of maybe a longer term trading solution like an ETRM where they use seasonal normal temperatures because it's so far out. You don't have a weather complex to consider. And therefore, the short term reactivity is why we've built PowerDesk for the short term trader as a, a platform designed by traders for traders. And Dimitri, do you, do you think with PowerDesk and algos, you think that temperature will be an input into the algos that you're building for the future? Definitely. Temperature is one of the key inputs as long as with other factors such as wind speed, cloud cover and all weather related variables that affect uh, national generation, which uh, currently includes not only uh, traditional dispatchable assets, but also the increased penetration of renewables. Perfect. So PowerDesk Edge, our algorithmic trading solution that Dimitri is designing, will think about those extrinsic data sources as well as the prices to, to allow the algos to start outperforming the humans when we do energy trading in the short term. That was everything, guys, I wanted to cover on the, uh, the short-term temperature blip that we're going through. My temperature in my living room has fallen to 35.9 now. Um, I can tell you that the 0.1 degree reduction from 36 has not made the greatest of differences. But hopefully, Murray and Dimitri, you've got something a bit more acceptable where you are in your air-conditioned offices. I don't want to go home. I want to stay here, <laughs> if I'm honest. Yeah, I think I'll be taking the shady route home, even if it is a little bit longer. Sounds interesting, Murray, the shady route home. We should talk later when we finish the recording. Thank you, everyone, for joining us with for the Brady Imbalance podcast with myself, Chris Regan. Dimitri and Murray. Perfect. Thank you, everyone, and we look forward to seeing you next month, where hopefully I'm not reporting on the second effect of very high temperatures, but maybe seasonal normal temperatures and just what it's like to have low volatility. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Brady's short-term power or curve trading solutions, visit www.bradytechnologies.com.